So Georgie Somerset, and I'm a commercial beef producer in Queensland, South Burnett, and now west of uh, what many know as the peanut capital of Australia, Kingaroy. And you're here with a couple of peanuts, like peanuts now. Charges. You jumped in front of me. I was about to. <laughs> had to give you something there. I had to get in. I had to get in early. Yeah, that's that shows that um, not just great minds, but also terrible minds think alike. Andrew, I, I was about to. It felt like you were saying bolt there for a second, trying to jump off the uh, the starting block to get that joke in, but you beat me to it. So I don't know if that was because you're quicker or you just have a better internet connection. So mm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. So again, this is our second in a mm-hmm. series of uh, podcasts on those who have nominated to be the queen or king of Australian agriculture. Uh, so we've got Georgie Somerset on from, from Queensland. Uh, so we're going to go through and have a, a bit of a chin wag and let people know what they're all about. So Sounds good. First and foremost, Georgie, we have to make sure that you are psychologically astute enough to hold the position of representing <laughs> Australian agriculture. Uh, so we are going to, nobody gets any special treatment on this podcast. So you are going to have to go through the uh, the sixth sense psychological test. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will throw a question or phrase at you and you give us the first thing that comes back to head. All good. And Matt will keep the you keep the count to make sure that we have added up to six correctly. Yes, yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to do. The trickiest right. thing. Do you want me to kick it off? You kick it off, Matt. Farmer representation, Georgie. Critically important. Black pudding. Delicious. Oh, it's a good. This is a good start. <laughs> uh, sorry, David, but I think you might yeah. have. <laughs> Crocs footwear. Uh, for the north. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit on the fence, that one, isn't it? That was I, had to, I had to specify, because speaking of Queensland and saying Crocs, you can't just say Crocs. When I said that to Bob Catter, he just started, yeah. he just started off look, on his... You know, the Croc, Crocs have their place. Um, they're not my place, but they have their place. Mm. Is that the footwear you're talking about now or the actual <laughs> reptile? Not both, actually. <laughs> okay. Favourite musician? Dire Straits. Mm. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So Rockhampton Footy Grounds, 1986. Mm. Australian agriculture. So much potential. Global agriculture. Feeding the world. I think that's a six. I think that's a six. So there's... It's a six. Oh. Yeah, that's it. It goes quickly, doesn't it? I thought you were going to say haggis for a second there, Andrew, but I'm guessing... <laughs> I, want, I, want, I, want to, I want to actually have one question that was actually agricultural related somehow. Well, haggis is an yeah, agricultural is... product. Yeah, but it's food. Haggis is definitely agriculture. Yeah. I'm presuming. I, 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 don't, I don't want to talk about the previous. No, we're not going to no. nom- nomination. Yeah. But I only added haggis into that one to see if I could give them a way to turn themselves around after they failed ah. so miserably on that yeah. pudding. <laughs> because because George had already <laughs> answered correctly. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can I can give you my haggis response if you like. It would be um, and I often think of it when you say it. It would be William Wallace. I mean, there's. <laughs> 
the two are just intrinsically connected. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Do you know that haggis? Here's here's a bit of a fact for you. Hmm. Haggis was a Roman dish as well. Yeah, I've got a feeling that we in ancient history we did like this, you know, ancient Roman some restaurant near Toowoomba cooked all these things up for us, and that was all those sorts of sweet bread and haggis and oh, um, things yeah. that. Yeah, it was an amazing, I don't know how they got them to do it, but we had all these kind of ancient Roman foods. Mm. Except, except for the, the, there was that dish yeah. that they did out of the rotten or the fish that was like a preserved fish thing that they'd pour onto everything. Um, it was really, yeah. apparently it was made to be a very strong flavoured, um, pungent type yeah, fish thing. They, they do that in Asia as well. Yeah, well, like um, a fish sauce. Yeah. Yeah, but the other day... Um, Asmin Lynham shared on Facebook the other day a recipe from the 1930s, which was cooked cow's foot. <laughs> now, it did say that you needed to wash it well before you cooked it. And I was waiting for the bit about, you know, when the stone is soft, you know, throw the, the foot away. But it actually was about uh, cooking the foot and there were edible parts of the foot. So that one blew me away the other day. The gelatin. Mm, I'm, think, I'm guessing so. I'm not going to try it. No, I'll give that. I got on a mix, a miss. I think. Um, although I did cook sheep hearts recently, stuffed mm-hmm. sheep hearts, and they were fantastic. So just doing my yeah. bit for the sheep industry, bit by bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I reckon, Andrew. It looks like on social media, you've eaten the whole sheep just in the last week by the post you've been putting on. He's doing his bit. <laughs> I've been, I've been eating, and it's more, more because actually in the last while I got some. This week I'm actually going for beef. Because there was some cheap beef and coals. Thank you, so, thank you. Yes, we, I'm, I'm, I'm we, need working some, my we don't around. want cheap beef. No, we don't no. want cheap beef. We want great beef. Mm. Well, one one day I'll buy expensive beef. If, you know, if one day we can, when, if, when I don't, if I don't have to do five part time jobs oh, on the side, come on, you'll be at you'll be at Beef Week next year, and you'll just eat great beef every day. So you know, I'll, I'll get my violin out, right? <laughs> This is a serious podcast for serious yep. people. We've got a lot of lot of serious listeners who you don't come to listen to Matt and I yitter on to each other about nonsense about sweetbreads and sweetbreads and yeah. flat pudding and so what we try to do is we want to keep roughly similar because we don't normally have our questions in advance. This is very unusual no. for us. It is. I was a bit. I was quite quite shocked, and particularly as you were very clear about it the other week that you do not do questions in advance. Mm-hmm. So, so Matt and I are doing. We've, we've we've decided that we're going to keep the questions, and the same across everyone. Yeah, well, our, our for fairness, fairness, for fairness and consistency, because we're because we're hoping in, and actually we might be able to pull a favour in from Georgie on this because I didn't realise that you were a director of ABC. <laughs> so I'm thinking. I am indeed. So I'm thinking, Georgie, that maybe if this goes well during the next election. Matt and I can do like the next, not the NFF election, a less important election, but the Australian federal election. <laughs> we can we can maybe do the MCing for the uh, the great debate. More for uh, shot. I, more, more for shot, Matt. Look, I can I can mm. absolutely see you doing that. I'm, I'm thinking that you also need to go and have a talk to Kath Sullivan and do the National Rural Press Club one. Uh, There's yeah. a guy. Yeah. Good idea. Well, she doesn't like yeah. us anymore. So. Yeah, oh, well, Castle, no, Castle. Oh, you burnt One of us did. We might have just, you know, said some silly things that we have apologised for. Castle is an exceptional, great reporter, an asset to the ABC, of course. She's not an asset that. to the ABC. That's a lie. 
Wow. Well, She's an asset to journalism in general. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Our, what, our what, team what, are fantastic. One one day we'll uh, we'll, we'll make it. Okay, then, let's go. Right we'll, get, let's we'll go. get started. We'll get started. I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, just in terms of, Georgie, what you think is the biggest challenge facing agriculture? Yeah, so at the moment, I think that the the big challenge facing us is the sort of the regulation and the policy changes. So as I say, you know, I'm still talking about issues I was talking about 30 years ago. It's just that regulation and policy frameworks keep changing. So we're still essentially growing beef, managing the climate, managing all those things, doing family things. Um, but the frameworks within which we have to do it, um, and that can be with trade, environment, um, industrial relations, that's the challenge for agriculture is that it keeps changing and it's it's a challenge constantly to, as a producer, to stay on top of that and as an industry to be actually at the table negotiating um, so that we don't end up with perverse outcomes for industry. And that's not just, I presume you're not just talking about what's happening domestically within the Australian setting. It, these kind of you know policy type things can be enforced upon us from our export markets as well and what's happening, say, in the EU or elsewhere. Absolutely. And, and non-tariff trade barriers are significant and they're across all sectors. And we've, you know, we've had more line of sight of that probably recently. But, um, you know, several years ago, I remember, you know, a meat producer talking, telling me the number of non-tariff barriers that he had to overcome in different markets, you know, about the labelling or whatever it is. And, you know, just over-regulation is the challenge for any small business and essentially agriculture is made up of small to medium enterprises. Yes, we have some large corporates, but the vast majority of our industry is small to medium enterprises trying to get on with their business and be sustainable. What, what do you think at the moment we've we're a year and a half roughly, give or take, into the current federal government with uh, Muzza. Um, what do you think the relationship is like just now between NFF and the government? Or, or agriculture in general? How do you think it's going? Yeah, so I think um, the Minister is is a strong advocate for agriculture in the Cabinet room, and that's what I always ask for, is that regardless of colour, that, that they be a strong advocate in, in Cabinet. You know, we need to do that. But the challenge for agriculture is it's not just about the agricultural portfolio. So we're connected to so many other portfolios, infrastructure, trade, environment, industrial relations, you know, and on it goes. And so that's the challenge as well, is to make sure that our relationship's not just with one minister. So I thought it was really good that the Federal Treasurer was in, in Rockhampton for the drought summit the other day. Um, Jim Chalmers was up there, um, as was Anthony Chisholm. So, in fact, he said we had Muzz and Chiz with us. Um, and so, so – NFF have worked very hard to ensure that we have a relationship. We had a relationship with the last government. It was strong, effective working, doing the same now. And that's what NFF's role is, is to actually ensure that we're part of the conversations, we're in the room, the right people are there, and that you're not being sidelined when policy is being developed. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's across every, every portfolio all the time, but we have got a strong advocate at the moment and we'll continue, you know, to, to work with that, I think. You've been involved with NFF for a while, Georgie. What's what's the current role you're doing there now? So I've been a director for two years, and I've been the AgForce president for five years. So um, as a member, AgForce gets to have a delegate at members council. So I was the delegate for members council for those the first three years. But once I became a director, I then um, 
got my deputy on the Ag Force board to actually come to members' council so that we could sort of strengthen the relationship there. So, and regardless of the outcome of this, I'll still be on the NFF board for another 12 months. They're three-year terms. Um, so, yeah, so both, both attending and previous to that, I chaired a, um, one of the policy committees within NFF, which are, I think a really critical part of NFF is where the, the long-form sort of policy development work happens. It's a, it's a good point there. You talk about the, so the policy council, the policy uh, area. What, what do you think the main role, like for, 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 for farmers listening, the like majority of the of the listeners of this podcast are farmers, yeah? What do you think the main, what if you could sort of clarify, what do you think the main role of the NFF is? So I think what it does is bring together um, a really broad church of ag industries. And those at those policy committees, you're wrangling with the cross-commodity policies um, that will grow the industry. So you're talking about farming systems. I used to chair the telecommunications and social policy mm. committee. So we were talking a lot about connectivity. Um, the, you know, the, you're talking about things like the natural capital. So the the ag sustainability framework, those sorts of large conversations, uh, biosecurity, they go across every sector and we need to have a national policy so that we can advocate for that. But it needs to be populated by all parts of the industry so that you don't end up with a perverse outcome for, you know, one sector in one part. And that's why it's really important that NFF members actually sit on those committees. It's usually um, one elected and one staff member. So actual growers and, and farmers and, um, you know, producers are sitting on those committees and wrangling those tough discussions. And, that that's where you get, you know, the regional tech hub is an outcome of the policy framework that we drove for quite a while about the fact that people needed independent help to get connected and stay connected. Um, so you see these outcomes, but they they take years. Um, mm. You know, nothing happens quickly in policy land, and and when you're trying to change frameworks and how things are done, it's it's long form work, and so people might be on a committee for two or four years. Um, but, but, you know, the actual outcomes will happen after they've left, but they've done that hard work. Do you think there's, like, you mentioned a few things there that were effectively non-agricultural, really, but kind of allied to agriculture? Because there's a lot of crossover between, say, agricultural issues and regional issues. Is that where do you think there's a, a larger place for the NFF to play in that field of regional development as much as agricultural representation? It, it's very difficult to operate a business in agriculture if you don't have an, a viable regional ecosystem. If you can't get your tractor fixed, if you can't get your groceries, if you haven't got a health system. So NFF is part of that conversation. What we bring to the table is that the agricultural lens on those things. So why is it critical that we have strong connectivity in a, on farm as we're travelling? I, 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 I can give you an answer. <laughs> Excellent. So, so that people can listen to this podcast. <laughs> that, no, and so just, you can download it there? and listen when you're offline but you know they, they want to be able to be connected all the time we've spoken a bit about some of the challenges there's a few there that you've outlined would you be able to give us a bit of a run of where you see some of the key opportunities for agriculture going forward yeah so i think the current policy settings it's about how agriculture is recognized for managing the landscape so the managing the natural capital um Whatever the language is, we are all driving to a lower emissions future. Um, but what sequesters that is plants. And, 
you know, agriculture is a huge driver of that because they have to be actively growing as well. So the, um, you know, the, the actual sequestration that happens in old growth um, national parks and things is minimal compared with what we sequester in agriculture mm. on an ongoing basis. So being respected and valued for the role that we play in that. And I think the other thing is um, our role in food security. So we provide incredible food security for Australia, but also globally. We, we are part of the nutrition solution. And that's we, do, we just don't think about that in Australia. We went through a very short period of empty shelves and uh, NFF ran that campaign of We've Got Your Back. But other countries, you know, this is a day-to-day thing for them about getting enough nutrition and, and nutritionally dense food. And that's, you know, the role ag plays in food security and food security leads to, um, you know, stable economies and geopolitical stability. Um, that's critical. I can Particularly, think. I just, I just, I was gonna, okay. I, I know exactly what you're going to say, Matt. So I'm going to let you go ahead. Well, I was going to say particularly with some of our northern neighbours, but I thought you were just about uh, to. Ref- you're going to refer. I, I, I to- thought you were going to refer to nutritionally dense food made by oh. our sponsors, Patton Park, and <laughs> black black pudding and pork pies. But no more from our sponsors, who actually, are, who actually, I have, must say, in case we get taken to court, Patton Park are not our sponsors mm. officially. <laughs> no. Uh, and they have set a restraining order against us. So. <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, that's I the promotion going, I, you give them is immeasurable. I thought, I thought Andrew, you were going to refer to some of the work you've done around analysis on food security. When Georgie was mentioning that that broader food security issue, because it has been, it's you know, it's a it's a very pressing one given current environment globally. Yeah, well, I guess I see food security as two sort of areas. Yeah. You've got relative food security and absolute food secu- food security or insecurity. And Australia is by and large massively food secure. We all know that. So I never really like it when people say, "Well, we're going to be concerned about Australian food security." Australian food security is never going to be at risk from a nutrition point of view until we have a population of fifty million plus. But it's places overseas, you know, Middle East, North Africa, that have, you know, fifty, sixty percent of their annual weekly spend is on food versus Australia. What was the recent number, Matt? Was it 6%, 7%, 8%? Yes, it's low. Yeah, that's right. In terms of, uh, of overall income. Yeah. And so, yeah, anyway, that's that's a complete tangent on, on that one. In terms of, yeah, in terms of that sort of, a quick question for you on the environmental stewardship. So we, it's a confusing issue for everyone, I think. You've got, you've <laughs> oh, got, yes. You know, you've got land care, all that kind of stuff. But then you've got carbon farming, you've got biosecurity markets. Uh, but you've also, let's be honest, there I is... I think you lo- mean biodiversity, not biosecurity. Yeah, oh, biodiversity, correct. Sorry. Yep. Um, see, that's how confusing it is. <laughs> but let's be honest, there is a lot of scepticism at the at the farmer yeah. level on these <laughs> things. And, and, and I believe that these things are going to get forced upon us anyway, regardless of whether farmers believe in it or not. It's going to be forced upon the mm. industry. So it's better, you know, for want of using phrases, it's better to be in the tent and on the outside to make sure we get yeah. the best deal possible for agriculture. How, how do you get around to NFF when sometimes what you guys are lobbying for might be seen with a sort of a skeptical view from a lot of farmers? Well, I think even a couple of years ago, um, you know, we were 
we were incredibly active in wanting the government of the day um, to sign on to um, the, the targets because we could see that without it, the finance sector would um, penalise Australia. And I think it was beginning of 2021, um, I get my years confused, but beginning of 2021, I spent two days in Melbourne at the company directors summit yeah. and the topic was ESG. And so 1,600 people in the room, four or 500 online, two days of company directors considering um, how they're going to account for their ESG um, and what they're going to do and lots of examples globally and nationally. So you're right, this is going to happen. And, and I guess what I see is one of the things that I can bring to this role is that I actually do have this broader perspective. I'm sitting on boards where they've actually got their emissions plan in place. They've They've got a whole range of things they're doing around scope one and scope two. The thing in agriculture is I, I wish I was more data-driven. Um, I might be a bit more of a communicator than a science person um, because we started making significant changes after the 90s drought. We made more changes after the millennium drought. You know, you learn each time. But also what we were doing was good business, but it would now be couched in the terms of emissions reduction. It would be additional so, Yeah, and you, exactly. And you, and you get paid for it. Um, Possibly. So one of the things, um, you know, we, we have developed at AgForce is a, is a tool, AgCare, so that That's people right. can actually understand what is the value of their natural capital on farm. And I think you're, you're spot on. People are still cautious about this, and I, I think they need to be cautious with reason, and you've had long talks to Oscar about this. Um, but they need to know the value of what they're managing before they even think about going anywhere with it. And I do get concerned about people signing up for, you know, decadal-long deals that may not benefit their family and their business in the future. Um, similarly, you know, we've got this rush towards renewables and and up here, a friend described it the other day as Eureka. They've just got much big, it's just like Eureka, they've just got much bigger picks and shovels. Mm. You know, we've, we've got a lot happening in southern Queensland around renewables. Um, but the way they're developing it could, could really um, diminish agriculture in the short term. And so... How we juggle all of this is making sure that ag is, as you say, at the table. These aren't things. And the whole point of having, you know, NFF's mission is to lead Australian agriculture. You can't lead by coming from behind all the time. You actually have to be courageous enough to say, this is happening globally. This is happening nationally. We're going to actually be part of that conversation so that when you're ready for it, there's a framework in place that will actually keep your business safe. And that's that's leadership at a national and a global level. Um, it's engagement with the World Farmers Organisation. It's actually about pushing back on some of the things that, that are being driven at us. But this is not about ag. This is about, you know, the task force for nature-related financial disclosures. This is much bigger than just one industry. We just need to make sure that we're not run over in the rush to offset everything and that we don't become some dumping ground for every other sector. Mm, that's a good point you make too about the leadership side of actually leading from the front. And it reminded me of the, the good work Richard Norton did when he was in, in charge of MLA back in the day and, and established that carbon neutral goal 2030, which at the time was was met with some level of scepticism amongst uh, you know think, amongst the projectors. I think it still is. Well, to a degree, yeah. Yeah, but 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 it was it was showing leadership, right? It was it was way before um, you know, a lot of people were even considering that as a, as a necessity. So, um, yeah, that's that's exactly where I think you're talking about. Do, do you get, as a beef producer yourself, George, you get sometimes frustrated that the beef sector, and a lot of it can be an international perspective too, that, that internationally it's considered one of the biggest um, problems with regards to emissions, you know, from an agricultural perspective is 
keeps getting thrown at the beef sector as a as an industry. Does that frustrate you? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's probably why I've ended up where I am, because you want to make sure that we've got strong organisations that can actually be cohesive and coherent about this. And had lots of conversations with MLA over the last 20 years about all of that. I was involved back in the 90s in helping Condin and write the book called The Beef Book, which was the Blunny Blundstone, you know, how do we connect with kids? Um, it, it's incredibly frustrating, but that's also where things like ag care have come from. How do we tell our own story? How do we articulate how much we're sequestering on our property? How can we respond at the barbecue in the city if we don't actually know what we're doing ourselves so and for me it's also about industry leadership so our our family believe passionately in being part of an industry body and make because we can't do that ourselves there's a lot going on in our place and they're not worried about what i'm doing they're getting on with growing beef i get on with doing the advocacy because that's the season at the moment have you got, um, if this just hypothetically move forward and let's assume that you're successful in your nomination, you become president, have you got any particular aspects that you'd like to be, or like a legacy you'd like to leave behind once you've done that term or numbers of terms as, as um, National Farmers Federation president? You know, what, what would you like to be remembered for if you end up taking that role on? Yeah, and can I say sort of multiple terms is a, a daunting thought. You know, Fiona is finishing up seven years. It's just extraordinary. So I do hope you're getting her on to talk about what it's been like to be the, the queen of this this empire, this great empire of Australian agriculture. Um, look, I'm a great believer that it's actually not about individuals. It's actually about the NFF. And I would hope that the NFF is stronger, that that we are still heading towards that 100 billion goal. Um, but this is this is a team this is a team gig. We're, we're a really diverse industry and everyone needs to be on the journey with us. Um, so my big thing is about collaboration. I'd really like to um, lift where we're tracking trust and those sorts of things. I'd really love to tr- to lift the trust in agriculture and the job we do, that consumers trust us, um, that we're, we're still strongly connected to whoever's in parliament at the time and prosecuting policies and enabling policies that really allow people to get on with their business. Um, so I think it is is much more about the organisation and, and being someone who can lead a whole organisation and a team of people who do some really, really deliberate and long-form work. Do you think there's – you mentioned consumer there, and it's, it's quite a common theme throughout any discussion nowadays in agriculture is the consumer. Uh, when – when we look at it at the moment, we're currently in a time of high food inflation. Well, it's coming back a little bit, Matt, isn't it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. A little yeah, bit yeah. On, on vegetables, but yeah, you know, yeah. No, one no one cares about vegetables. But well, I shouldn't say that because you do represent <laughs> yeah. vegetables. We well, love, let's just say not many Scottish people care about vegetables. For vegetables. <laughs> potatoes. Well, let's say, potatoes. Let's <laughs> deep fried. Let's say deep fried. Deep fried potatoes. Mm. Um, Mars bar is a potato, uh, vegetable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm sure Ve- it is. Vegetable oils in it. Um, and cocoa. Sure I've lost my train of thought there. You're going to uh, ask about consumer. The consumer. Consumer, <laughs> consumer costs, yeah. Do you think this is an opportunity at the moment now that we've got rampant sort of food inflation? You know, the, your average blokes like, and, and ladies like Matt and myself are struggling to make ends meet, you know, having to only have haggis and black pudding once or twice a month now because the cost is too high. We're having to, we're having to drop down to things like I fill it <laughs> and lamb cutlets because black pudding's too expensive. But do you think there's an opportunity? I always think that if you look back on, and this is not a criticism NFF or any organization, but we always like to say to the consumer how great we are in agriculture, how clean and green and blah, 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 blah. Is it now an opportunity to change 
the narrative slightly for the next year or two to say we're trying to keep food costs down for you guys mm-hmm. by having technology, by having the Murray Dallin Basin, like still having water in the system or GM crops or whatever else. We're trying to keep the cost of your food on your weekly shop at a manageable level. Is that something that mm-hmm. you reckon we should be looking at? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, people like Brianna Casey are very, you know, they're, they're, they're really across. While we say that we're food secure and we are food secure as a nation, there are a lot of people who um, are not able to afford um, all the food that they require at the moment and particularly for families. Um, I think Australian agriculture does an amazing job and, and is incredibly efficient. So it's things like food waste. Um, I remember speaking at something about five years ago and sort of said, you know, it takes me four years to get a steak on your plate. So when you throw half of that out, um, that really makes me quite sad because, mm. you know, we've, we've just had some new bulls arrive today. Well, it's going to be some time before we see, so it's another 15 months before we see their calves, um, you know, and then it'll be another couple of years before they make it to a plate. So the length of time it takes, so if we could just address some of these things like food waste, we could also really help people be more food secure it's the processing as well so the cost of processing in australia so if we could get back to helping people buy raw ingredients in fact australian food is very affordable it's how it's presented um and how it's processed i think that you know really adds cost in there but i agree i think that technology has enabled us to be more efficient we do we do much more with less um it's what happens to it post farm gate that i think is also part of this mm. challenge and the industrial relations settings that we have. Okay. So you, you, you've you got a, a unique insight, I guess. You've been with the NFF for a couple of years. You've been with AgForce prior to that. So you've seen it from quasi the outside as a member and also on the inside as a director without naming names or, or shaming anyone. What, what would you, what would you change about the organization in your in your in your time yeah so i think i think um there's been a lot of change in the last five years before i came on the board you know there was there was a lot of change driven um i i am really um supportive of the work we're doing what i'd also like to do is develop um another i like to to sort of talk about the three or four-legged stool instead of the two-legged stool where you develop um income for purposeful work that then drives more purpose. Um, so, so essentially in other sectors, you talk about social enterprises. It's not something ag industry and ag sectors talk about. Um, we tend to have member income, uh, we, we have project income, and we might have some investments or some property. But the other part, part for me is actually things like, you know, we've revitalised ag force training um, because then it's an income source, and it's something you've got some control over, regardless of policy settings and um, membership and, and price fluctuations and things. You actually can have a business that you drive that drives income and benefit to the organisation that can then be put to purpose. So I think there's potential to grow, and there are some projects underway that I think can really grow that. But also benefits um, the members as well and farmers absolutely. individually. That's right. Would that so would that be me, like an, would that be like an RTO type structure, Georgie, or would it be so not as formal what, as that? Yeah, no, so that's what Agforce has. Agforce has an yeah. RTO. So it had been sitting there and we just didn't so we've joint ventured and um you know, we're we're out there delivering training and want to do more of that because it's something that industry needs. So it's industry relevant training, um, but then it delivers 
benefits as a not-for-profit back to our members. So I think, you know, the, the big thing for me is about ensuring that the organisation is sustainable and lives beyond you. You're only in these roles for a few years. You're, you're, you're like a blink. Um, and you, nobody would be able to just sit there and rattle off all the presidents of the NFF, but they can talk about what NFF achieved. And that's really, to me, what this is about, is about strengthening and growing NFF as an organisation that can hold its own, um, you know, as industries. We're a really small industry across Australia, but we're, we do some really vital work. Um, so I think we've got a lot of really good things going on and I would love to just strengthen that. We can't, we might not be able to name all the previous presidents, but I can name the first executive is it, director. Is, it, uh, is this uncle, uncle, uncle your uncle or uncle grand uncle? Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jimmy Whitelaw was the first um, executive director of National Farmers Federation. There you go. Well, I have to say that my first meeting at the National Farmers Federation was with Rick Farley when I was advocating for um, agritourism in the late 80s. And I look back now and think, um, yeah, I know I was still in primary school because I'm not that old now, but yeah, the fact that say, Rick even... You can't the, do policy at four years old. That's um, The fact that Rick gave me the time of day then... Um, I look back now and, and I'm really impressed that he even bothered to meet with me and give me some pointers and uh, send me on my way. Um, and, you know, that to me, I've grown up with NFF doing some fabulous work. And I think that that's the important thing is that we actually have a strong and effective organisation. Because yeah. one, one of the things you mentioned was about bringing in more revenue, as because we all know that member organisations, if we look at state farm organisations, Ag Force is probably an example of it. VFF, WOF, membership numbers are probably on a gradual decline. And and bring in some form of separate, different income can can obviously make it money talks, you know. And 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 yeah. the money easier is to lobby because I I had wrote a paper which Oscar has been banding about about you know, group buying organizations mm. as a, as an option for SFOs. So you can you can have that one for free. So thanks, Andrew. And look, we've done I mean, if you look back in the history, so AgForce is built on an organization that came out of the 1890s Shearer's strike. Um and there's just extraordinary legacy. But if I pick up the minutes from, you know, the nineteen thirties, the nineteen fifties, the nineteen seventies, there are some there's some really similar themes about yeah. Ensuring we have a strong voice, ensuring we're listened to, ensuring we're collaborative, um, and and actually having policy. I mean, that's the most critical thing: is that you have policy that you can stand by, and you know what you stand for. Absolutely, and the and it gives you a direction, I guess, as well. Ah, absolutely, and it gives the team direction because that's the other thing: is that these organisations are built on really um, strong staff that carry on regardless of who's been elected and they will continue to hold that wisdom and and often industry bodies populate um you know corporates and other industry organizations um but it is a, a fantastic um place for those people to to really do that long-form work right oh, well i'll probably give you the, the opportunity for one final statement or one one final uh 
you know, uh, the last pitch, last pitch, not the last pitch, not that, anyone, not, that, not that anyone can um, can vote on on from the podcast, of course. Well, you know, technically, we, we do have there might be there a might lot be some, of SFOs and, and whatnot, yep. member organizations do listen to the podcast because they usually mm. criticize us about some stuff. Yep, um, <laughs> so one, one final. Uh, we won't we'll call it a pleat. We'll call it a, we'll call it a, a pitch because that's more modern. That's what I, that's what I say, pitch. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, if we take the beef thing, it's the pitch from the paddock, um, or in my case at the moment, the pitch from the side of the road. Uh, look, it would be an absolute privilege to lead the National Farmers Federation because I think Australian agriculture has got um, so much to offer and so much great work to do. Um, but also because I, I think that we can build upon what we've been doing that actually take us into the future, um, build that trust with consumers and actually collaborate as an industry. Excellent. You've heard it there. So, Georgie, thanks for um, for coming on and having a chat. Good luck. We're wishing all the uh, prospective candidates good luck. So um, it's good to see it's actually a good – it's a very, very um, skilled field. So it's, that's a positive that we've got such good candidates all putting themselves forward. Um, so I'm sure whoever wins, it'll be good for NFF in any event. But good luck for your own um, own nomination. And, and um, we, 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 we we have to we we will also be at the NFF conference in we will in we a will. couple of weeks time. So we will supply you with a either a celebratory drink or a consolatory drink. Um, and 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 if people want to come and get your autograph, they need to. Um, form an order NFF queue. conference now. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure they're registered for NFF conference and come and meet the team. At least we're actually buy, buying a ticket this time and not just sneaking we, in. <laughs> we didn't sneak in. We hung, we didn't around, sneak, we hung, around, we the hung around the outside last time. We didn't sneak in. That was that, that would be inappropriate. But now we're um, we're buying a ticket and we're there formally there properly. So that'll be good. Uh, looking look, forward. Looking forward to the look event. To catching up. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, and we'll see you when you got nothing on. Ciao for now. Great, thanks, guys. <laughs>